Welcome to Cryptonized, the show that interviews the crypto masters and their ideas on investing and the blockchain. And now here's your host, Mark Fidelman. Yuri Cadaldo and Steve Good are hosts of the Coin Chat podcast and authors of the upcoming book, Be Left Behind. Today we're going to talk about the crypto curious and how to get started in crypto if you're a crypto newbie. So, Yuri and Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. Can you each give us kind of a, a short bio of yourselves uh, before we jump right into this? Sure. Um, Yuri, do you want to go first or would you like me to? <laughs> I was just going to ask you the same question. It's just a little bit different because Steve and I are used to staring at each other while we talk, so we take cues that way. So this, this works. And uh, just to so, let you guys know, yeah. uh, I think, Steve, you're in Europe? Yes, I'm in London. Yep, and Yuri is in Boston, is that right? Yes, I'm in, in Boston. So this is truly a global podcast today. <laughs> it is, and you know, since we've done the show, we've never once been together to record. Yeah. Wow. All right. Yeah. Well, so that? yeah. Okay, so uh, quick bio on me. I am, so Yuri Cataldo. I, I am one of the, the co-hosts of the, the Coin Chat with, along with Steve Good. And primarily by day, I advise and work with startups on different innovations, primarily focused on the, the future of work. But uh, my original career actually started in, in theater. I was a Broadway designer, uh, classically trained designer that came up that way and switched over to the tech world after the dot-com bubble. But uh, since then, I've, I've spoken on different subjects, mostly about innovation and entrepreneurship at Yale, Stanford, Tufts, and a lot of other organizations. And now, co-author of Be Left Behind. <laughs> Sorry, that's a new one. I have to use, I think it used to saying that, co-author, Be Left Behind. It's a new one. Okay, so a bit about me. My name is Steve Good. Um, I'm based in London, uh, although I was born in the US. And I jumped into crypto at the end of 2016, before things really took off and started a whole variety of things getting into crypto. I got into, uh, into mining, I got into doing a lot of strategic advisory work, which is where I, I really have most of my career history is in actually banking and finance and working with big banks, providing them IT services, FinTech, and really left the banking world to go into the crypto space and when I say I left the banking, went to crypto, I went all in. And I've been all in since. And moving from consulting, I ended up starting the podcast and YouTube show and then getting into uh, doing some keynote speaking around Europe. Um, and that's led to becoming, as Yuri pointed out, the co-author of a book as well, where we took what we learned and the experiences and journeys of what we've discovered to create the book. Well, good. I, I think the book is needed. I know there are other books out there like that, and we'll get into that. But, you know, first I've got to ask anybody listening to this, uh, and they know the topic is crypto for beginners, you know, why cryptocurrency? Why do we need it? And who cares? Great question. <laughs> well, there's a, there's a couple of things going on. I mean, if you look at the research that's been done by Tom Lee and his organization, Fundstrat, which is a, a research analyst firm out of New York, Tom is ex-JP Morgan and went into setting up his own research analyst firm. A lot of the research that comes out from his firm is about the different age groups from baby boomers through millennials uh, and what they want and what, um, what they, how they're influenced by things going on around them. What's really interesting when you take research like his 
is it points to the fact that millennials don't trust banks. Um, they want their privacy. They want control of their data. So when you start to look at a number of these factors, they play very well to what blockchain offers in terms of being able to control and protect your data, being able to have control of your money without waiting on a bank to say whether you're approved or denied to have access to a service. Just fundamental basic things. That's what drives the millennials toward the crypto environment. Um, that plus it's a nascent technology and much like the way the internet was back in the late 80s, the 90s, whatever, that was the same kind of thing that everyone said, well, why do I need this internet thing? And then it suddenly became a, oh my God, look at what Amazon can do. But it took years to, to evolve that. Blockchain's just moving a lot faster. And to couple along with, with what Steve is saying, the, the idea behind cryptocurrency, we're, we're looking at a potential to have the fastest, easiest, cheapest, safest, universal exchange of value that the world has ever seen. You know, just from looking at from um, a potential of what's coming onto the space, that's something that most people, I believe, are excited about of this new, yeah. exciting technology. I think the keywords there, Yuri, were universal, as in yes. why do we need to have hundreds of currencies to achieve something when you could have one global currency mm -hmm. that would allow all of us to work and operate on in a global basis? It is a logical next step in, the, in globalization. And having been in crypto now for a couple of years, it's amazing that I can send Bitcoin or some of the other coins to anybody, anywhere, and they can use it how they need to. It's incredible. And you guys aren't concerned that the governments around the world are going to shut this thing down. I mean, that's my biggest concern is that they're going to make it so onerous that if, you know, this any kind of cryptocurrency, if it's a global cryptocurrency or a set of cryptocurrencies that are a threat to, you know, their, their home currency. I mean, look at how Trump is, is responding to some of the things going on in the crypto space because he sees it as a threat to the U.S. dollar. I mean, yeah. uh, do you think this thing will ever be, I mean, is it kind of a utopian vision that it's going to be a, there's going to be a global cryptocurrency that everyone uses? How do you shut something down which is fully decentralized and it's not controlled by any one person but controlled by thousands? You, Unless uh, you send police to house by house to shut everybody down. Well, the way I would do it, I would shut down the exchanges. <laughs> I'd say you can't operate in the U.S. or, you know, we're going to shut you down. So, so once you shut down the exchanges, how are you, how are you going to exchange? You're describing centralized exchanges, but decentralized exchanges operate in exactly the same way as the distribution of the cryptocurrency itself. So by having a completely decentralized environment, there is no one person that has control of anything. There's nothing central. There's no authority. There's no central body. We, the people, decide how we want to and use the system. And it's a little harder, isn't it? It's a little harder to trade that way. Well, if that's uh, what you're doing. Decentrally and centrally effectively works in the same way. It's only a matter of whether the applications are designed to be usable. And that's really the only fundamental problem is usability, really. Yeah. I mean, that's across the board. I see with crypto. Yeah. It's just too freaking hard to get on board yeah. and then understand. And then, you know, everyone's so worried about losing their, their crypto. I mean, if you look at what the Winklevi do, I mean, they've, what do they do? They, they've got like 50 different banks that they rent mm -hmm. safety deposit boxes and that's where they put their right. cold, yeah. Yeah, cold, storage. Their cold, cold storage. So it's like, oh my God, if that's what you got to do <laughs> yeah. to protect these things. <laughs> uh, so somebody's got to make it easier and somebody's got to make it, you know, to the point where, you know, you're not worried about that kind of stuff. But, so uh, you touch on an interesting point yeah. because I mean, if the idea is that we 
trust and believe in this type of an environment where we can have universal financial freedom or a universal banking system or currency, and if governments are not rejecting it, but rather accepting and embracing it, then it enables the banks to create what's called a custodial service where they would allow you to store your coins with them safely and you don't have to worry about holding your coins in your own hand. Now, that doesn't exactly uh, align with the philosophy of most people in the cryptocurrency community, but the reality is things are going to evolve the way they evolve, whether we as the purists like it or not. Um, and that's just something we accept, right? So, I mean, if the banks decide to have a custodial service so that you can deposit your Bitcoin there and you want to go back to trusting banks to manage your money for you, so be it. I prefer to manage my money myself and not have the bank tell me I'm sorry, you can't have this card or because you've changed addresses, this is no longer valid. I mean, you get all sorts of crazy stuff all around the world like that. And I, I don't mind having control of my money, but if people don't want that burden, there are services developing that alleviate that. That, that is so true. I mean, the banks are just ridiculous now. And it's not always their fault. There's a, there's a lot of regulation, but I think they take advantage of that. And they're probably the first, first thing, uh, first groups to say and first uh, companies to say, hey, you know, this Bitcoin crypto stuff, uh, this is going to cause major problems and we got to shut down and you know, they're in the ear of government. So, so what, what do you think the future is then with, you know, making it easier for consumers to use this, managing your own money, security, all this kind of stuff. What do you think will emerge in the next five to 10 years that's going to make cryptocurrency kind of the preferred currency uh, of the future? Wow, that's the futurism question, isn't it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. It certainly is. I mean, it's a big topic um, because, I mean, if you'd ask somebody what the internet's going to bring in five years, I don't think most people could have really predicted what the level of internet turning into apps, turning into, you know, all sorts of, turning into blockchain. I mean, that's what the internet's turned into, isn't it? I mean, that's what the internet is. The internet is a decentralized environment, mm -hmm. fully decentralized. And when you talk about the DNS server, which is what, allows your IP address to turn into an actual name. So you say cnn.com, it's actually a, you know, a nine digit, 12 digit number, three, six, nine, four, yeah, 12 digit number. <laughs> I can't remember <laughs> how many numbers it is. And uh, in, a, in a similar way, I mean, what, what if blockchain ends up moving us in a similar direction that we can't quite envision? I mean, certainly there's a number of things Yuri and I have come up with in terms of visionary ideas about what blockchain might do for us. But, you know, it's a hard question because it's still, there's still so much resistance by, by governments who are still people, some of whom probably have Bitcoin, but are still following whatever guidelines are being given to them. But you've got countries like Belarus that say, hey, you know what, tax-free for five years or, you know, Portugal that recently just said, hey, you know what, crypto is, is okay here, you know, not going to be taxed on it right now. And you have other countries like China that keep saying it's banned in the US where it's it's been next to impossible on a large scale to really do crypto because of the SEC and the rules around the Howey test, which is your, are you a security or not? So I think a lot of that's going to evolve where there's more of a freedom of acceptance and that might lead to a new global monetary policy. That's, I mean, that might sound crazy, but it, it's just me thinking out loud. Is that a possibility? Um, would we change the way we do taxes? If people have and control their coins in a private way, that it would lead to us, let's say, taxing corporations more and uh, taxing employees within their employee, 
with the way they're employed rather than being taxed by the governments themselves and then the companies pay the tax? I mean, that's possible. Yep. It, does sound I, a bit far, it sounds far-fetched in a way, but if we were to move to a way where, um, you know, if crypto were really sitting in our hands, fully in our control, and we were transmitting the money back and forth in a private way where no one could see it but us, then if governments, you know, retain this tax structure they have, they'd have to probably move that tax structure to the corporations who have to report publicly what they're doing, how they're performing in, other, in order for their shares to go up or down. And in doing that, that would probably presume that they would have to tax us themselves. It's just me logically thinking forward about what would be a nice way to solve the problem so that everybody wins. Okay. Um, you know, Bizarre as it sounds, yeah. I, no, I, I, I'm following you. Um, you know what I see, though, is there's two things that'll move crypto to the next level. And then, like everything that you said, it could be built on top of it. One is ease of use. It's just too hard to get into the game. Way too hard. Somebody's going to make it really easy, and I haven't seen that yet. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, two, you've got to have a system where it's not only secure, but much more transparent about what's going on. And I think I'm starting to see a lot more of that, you know, where you've, yep. got, uh, you've got companies that are showing you what's going on in the blockchain. You've got companies that are showing you what's going on with with your wallet and the exchanges. But, you know, I want to know, like, I see my financial statements every single month. I want something like that where I know everything that's happening in, in one spot. So maybe a mint for crypto, I don't know. But <laughs> there's, there, those are the two things I think, you know, people want feedback as to what's going on. They want a, a view of what's going on and they want it to be super easy to transact. And they don't want to have to memorize all these different keys and put it in cold storage and... Jesus, it's, it's just way too complicated. So once, that, once that's solved, uh, I think, you know, look out governments because this thing is going to take off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So let's jump over to um, the real topic of today, which we've kind of gone off on a tangent, but that's okay, which is, you know, anyone listening that's not into crypto um, and is curious about how to get into crypto, you know, I, I was struck by kind of your statement here is this, you know, you said it might be too late. Get in before it's too late to discover Bitcoin and crypto. You believe it's going to be too late eventually. Um, and so how do we get people into Bitcoin and crypto going forward, let's say tomorrow, if they want to get started? Well, the title in part is a bit tongue in cheek. The idea of, you know, to be left behind creates a response. And a lot of people will say to me, and I guess probably to you as well, Yuri, mm -hmm. I don't want to be left behind. Or why, don't, or why don't you call the title, don't be left behind? Well, that's exactly the reaction we want you to have. So why not give them a title that creates an emotional response? I don't want to be left behind. Of course you don't want to be left behind. You want to be in the mainstream. You want to be in. You want to be cool. Um, you want to be participating in something. You don't want to be on the sidelines watching. And like any other thing we've seen in our history with cars or with internet and now with blockchain and Bitcoin and crypto, it's not going away. So actually, we want you to participate. We don't want you to be left behind. We want you to be part of it. So it's really, it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek play on words to get people to recognize and to trigger an emotion, which is, I don't want to be left behind. I want to be part of this. That's, that's the reason why we have the title. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, and, and the, so the, the book itself, it, which is interesting because it covers kind of the, the first topic you discussed on, you know, a barrier for people to get involved in cryptocurrency. 
there is a, a barrier of information. So I know Steve and I had the same problem when we were first getting started and understanding it. The, you know, the information is, there's a lot of information out there. It's highly technical. Sometimes technical just could be overwhelming. And so part of what we wanted to do was help with that first aspect of let's start with the education side of it and let's speak to the average person in a, a language that they can understand so they can be involved in this technological breakthrough and, and be part of it if they so choose to. Okay, so, you know, there's other books on getting involved in crypto. Why did you, why'd you write this book? To be honest, the, I don't think a book has done what we've done. And I'm not saying that because I'm trying to say our book's the best book. Mm -hmm. But it's something a little bit unique in that we, we targeted the book to the 99% who don't know anything about this. And, you know, what's, a, what's the difference between a cryptocurrency and a coin? Or what's a blockchain? How do I buy or send or spend Bitcoin? But what we did was we anchored all of the concepts in the book to things people know in day-to-day -day life. And if we really rolled, we, and what we did was we kept rolling back and rolling back and rolling back. And by, but what I mean by that is we kept simplifying the book simpler and simpler and simpler to the point where, and for people that are in the crypto world will be shocked when we say this, the word smart contract is not in the book because the average person doesn't appreciate what a contract is because it's not important to them in their day-to-day -day lives. They go to work, they pay their bills. They might buy or invest in Microsoft shares. They might, you know, go to a restaurant and spend some money to have dinner. These are the concepts that are normal day-to-day -day life experiences. And most of the crypto books have all the technical language in them still, and they don't simplify it to a level where everyone can read it and understand it. My parents have read the book and understood it. And they were like, oh, is this what this is? Gosh, I mean, we never found anything that really explained it like that. And that was the whole, the whole point of the exercise was how can we make this book so easy that everyone can say, I get it. I want to get started now. How can I get involved? And it's okay. really, really targeted to simplify things so that anybody who's not a techie can read the book as well and say, okay, cool. I want to know more. And is it more about investing in crypto or just explaining it? Or is there a blockchain angle? What's, the, what's kind of the, the premise? Uh, I mean, the, the premise is that, you know, to, to understand crypto is a foundation you need to have to get started. But the premise is that Bitcoin's not going away and it is a, it's a currency. It's something that you will invest in that everyone's going to want to have in their hands. They may get paid for, by you know, in Bitcoin or other currencies like this in the future. So yes, it's a foundation to tell you what it is, you know, what's a wallet, what's a blockchain, what's a coin. But then we really get into how do you buy and send and spend and trade it? How do you figure out how to get invested with it? Because it's a big factor that goes on when you get into the crypto space. So we bring the two together so that it covers a lot of different topics, but in a very light, easy way, easy read, so that you're not being pulled into the details too hard that you get overwhelmed by any one topic. Okay. And, you know, you've got the books coming out November 7th, by the way, and we'll give you the details in the, in the notes and at the end of the podcast here. But what are the typical reactions you hear from people about why they won't get into crypto? It's too complicated. I don't know how to keep track of anything. I don't know how to, like, I don't know how to buy Bitcoin or even know if there's a reputable place to do that. 
those are just some of the basic questions we get um, that we then cover sometimes. We, we cover some of these in our book as well. Yeah, yeah and we hear about scams and spam and you know scams and hacking stuff, and we hear it's all about you know using it in like the black market kind of stuff. So surely this can't be very good. It can't be very legit. I mean, there's there's you know, for, if the, lots of things are misunderstood. Let's put it that way. And there's lots of fear of looking at something that's very technical, and then you say, "What am I supposed to do with this? It's so technical. How am I supposed to use this? I don't even understand what's going on." Right. Okay. So that you know, is very telling because those are the two things I think needed to happen <laughs> in the crypto space before this thing would take off. So your book kind of explains it uh, and, and, you know, puts some of those fears to, to bed, although they're still going to exist technically. I think those technical challenges will, will be solved eventually. So if you're advising, let's say somebody listening here, what's the easiest on-ramp to crypto right now? It depends where they live in the world. <laughs> let's let's exactly. start with the United States, and then we'll we'll throw a bone over to the London. Well, go ahead, Yuri. I mean, you got a, few, a couple a couple of points of view over there. Yeah. Well, so the easiest again, I guess we're talking about ease of use. Technically, Coinbase is particularly easy, or Circle. Although I think, but I think Circle is backing out of a couple of different things. But um, yeah, I mean there. I don't agree with Coinbase's fee structure, and there's a lot of problems involved in that. But as far as a traditional platform that was a closer, closer, more close to a traditional, let's say, banking, like Fidelity type of thing, Coinbase so far has the easiest setup for people who are totally brand new. My experience with Coinbase was it probably took four days to get started with it. And uh, that was a couple of years ago, so I don't know what it's like now but it was a pain in the ass, but it was my on-ramp as well. What lacked, what I thought it lacked was kind of this, and maybe they have now, tutorials on how to do it and how to transfer and invest and, you know, something you typically see on any investment website that yeah. was lacking back then. It was, the expectation was you knew what you were doing and I didn't. In some respects, it's, I still don't. They, they <laughs> it's forgot. still lacking. Which, yeah, they have okay. forgotten. Yeah, yeah, they've forgotten. Which is, yeah, which is, again, which is telling that, Coinbase is like let's say is the easiest we're saying right now. It's still difficult, even with the one that seems to be the the furthest along. It's still a monumental task, which says a lot about the space and how far it still needs to go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the examples in our book actually is where one of our friends, Jeremy, had uh, literally pinged me on WhatsApp and said, "Hey, you know, I'm trying to." Um, just send some Bitcoin from here to there. I'm on Coinbase. What do I do? It didn't matter that he was on Coinbase because the on-ramp process for just taking your money and sending it to Coinbase and buying isn't the hard part. It's everything that goes on after that. So it's great that you have Bitcoin and it's sitting there with them, but it's all, what next? And the where I think people are failing in terms of the, what do we need to do to make adoption happen is they're not recognizing that all of these letters and numbers that we call wallet addresses are intimidating and they don't need to be present. They can be replaced with something that's user-friendly. Um, and just in doing that, Coinbase could already, you know, step up their game and improve that, but it would require other systems to also be compliant and you'd have to have mechanisms in place to still make sure that you were keeping a user safe. But within a single platform to do that, you know, so I could send money, money to Yuri and we could do it within the same environment with the username like a PayPal wouldn't be 
out of order. It just hasn't been done yet for some reason. Um, but Coinbase, and then of course, Gemini from the Winkle, Winklebross brothers is another good example. They're very similar in terms of the on-ramp to buy, but the process in terms of how long it takes and the costs associated with it are really inappropriate and too reminiscent of what banks are doing. And it's almost like, well, the banks are already charging this and people are used to it, so we'll go ahead and do it. And it does go completely against the grain of what we're trying to achieve in crypto by helping people get their costs down and making things a bit more free for everybody, not free as in free cost, but you know, freedom of movement for easier to use. So we have a ways to go. It's a start. But yeah. Coinbase did the first part and the, the vision of making it UI friendly for the rest seems to have gotten lost in the mix somehow. Yeah, I'd say the, the other complaint I have about Coinbase and, and really any uh, exchange or on-ramp is um, a lot of these, it would be great if they gave me like a debit card or a credit card that I could use and it would automatically choose you know, the best crypto to use, or maybe you would ask me that the crypto to use in order to pay for something that would be fantastic. Cause there, a, there isn't a lot of people accepting crypto yet for a wide variety of reasons, which we don't have time to get into, but B, you know, getting, getting it out and usable, I think is another thing that needs to be solved because people are like, okay, I put $10,000 into Coinbase and now what do I do with it? Sit on it? So Coinbase did launch uh, card services as you've described in the UK. So we already have it here. Um, I can't comment on what Coinbase is, Coinbase is doing in the US, but you have BitPay in the US, which does the same thing where you can deposit your Bitcoin or other coins onto a BitPay credit card. And then you can use that card to spend and it converts it straight into dollars uh, across the US. Okay. So there's something. Yeah, there is. There's there's a lot of card services out there um, across Europe. There's Change, there's WireX, there's Coinbase, uh, and there's a whole range of other cards coming out around all sorts of different countries in Europe. So, you know, if you'd asked me 18 months ago, I would have said, well, there was a few cards and then they all stopped because of some problems that happened with MasterCard and Visa. And since then it's evolved and now there's, there's you know, probably about 10 or 15 cards at least just in the European yeah. region. Yeah, and certainly I see more of that happening in Asia too. So it's evolving, it's developing. It's just, you know, the hardest part is going through the regulatory process with a bank to make sure you've got the right licenses and you're in compliance and you have the right mechanism set up. But it's a process and people are doing it now. It's becoming more and more common. Okay. So BitPay in the US, Yuri, do you know any others in the US? That's a great question in the US. Um, there's a couple of them, but I have I they are they've been difficult to follow up with and try. So I I don't have any anything particular. I know that the the Winklevoss twins were talking about a particular service that they used a couple of months ago, but other than that, I have not been up to date on which cards you can actually use in the states. So BitPay is one. I I didn't realize that you could do uh, you know anything related to transacting it using it like a credit card like, like yeah. does it go through a visa or mastercard what does it what does it do it does i have a i have a wirex card which is um i don't have it on me but i have a wirex card which is visa debit card and then i have a change bank card which is i think mastercard yeah i've got the visa it's visa debit for wirex and wirex is based in the uk change is based in estonia and they've been fully regulated to do this. So 
they're both you know on the same path doing the same kinds of things well good that's uh that's new information for me i had no idea so i thank you guys for bringing that up is that also in your book or is it just too time sensitive that it wouldn't work in a book well, we've lightly touched on it, but I mean, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, how do you spend your money? We, we covered it off in some high level way just to give people an idea of what can be done because it's important for people to know what's out there. So we have mentioned a few of these different examples just to give people okay. something to go and research more. Okay, great. All right. Well, I think, um, you know, Yuri and, and Steve, this was a good intro to you know, at least letting people know, hey, if you want to get interested in, and you want to start down your crypto journey, hey, there's a book that's coming out that has never been done before. It's almost, uh, you know, I, I hate to say crypto for dummies, but it sounds like you know, if you haven't, if you don't know anything about crypto, this is the book and you do it in layman's terms. So I, I love the fact that you've done this. You could pre-order, I think, start in October with a website, beleftbehind.com. I'm impressed you even got that URL. And the book is coming out November 7th. Um, but I have one last question for you guys. And uh, in 100 words or less, if you could invest a fictional $100,000 in one or two cryptos, what would they be and why? Yuri, you want to go first? <laughs> uh, <laughs> sure. We're going okay. to come back a year from now. We're going to say what you did. No. Go ahead. Right, right, exactly. One or two. So I, I, I know. So Steve and I have been heads down with this book. So my two favorites, so apart from, so I would take, let's say half of it and I would, I would do the conservative route, I guess, and stick it into Bitcoin. Other than that, so BNB Binance coin, uh, I'm a big fan of what Binance is doing. Um, they are, you know, not only a, a company that's profitable, but they also have a very strong use case for the coin itself. Yeah. And uh, I mean, for, well, full disclosure, I used to own BNB coin until I had to, until I had to, <laughs> until they've, Dereg or they've changed the, the specifications for U.S. people, but uh, once we're back on and the Americans can can use Binance again, I will definitely buy back into BNB Coin. I guess see a lot of potential for them as a company and what they're doing with their coin as a use case. Excellent. Yeah. So there's another. I, similar to Yuri, I would invest all of my money into you know a variety of companies. I'd put a lot of it probably into Bitcoin because that's sort of like your gold. And it's always good to have something that's going to be solid or have the chance to grow to go up. So I might put 50% there like Yuri's done. Um, I would probably put some of it into Electronium. So Electronium is a, uh, a company that's focused on the unbanked. And for those people who don't know what the unbanked is, it's about 39% of the world who've never had a bank account and lack access to any of the basic services, which means they can't get healthcare, insurance and other things. And it's, it's a really unfortunate problem, but uh, Electronium's really working hard to solve that. And they're, you know, it's a wallet-based application and people can use the Electronium coins to transact with each other on their phones without needing basic banking services. And it's enabling them to do a lot. So something like that for me is, is huge because you look at the, the potential and the size and the scale of where it can go, which I find really interesting. I agree with Yuri. I like Binance. So if I were going to invest, I'd probably put some into Binance because I like the, the direction Binance is taking. They're very forward thinking. They're trying to do a lot of different services, um, which makes a real you know, value for a coin if it has lots of utility. And I like Theta Token, which is a, uh, like a video gaming streaming type platform. 
and the investors that are in that company are all big name investors. So I like the fact that it's got a lot of really solid backing and they've been really working hard to build out a, a more kind of robust environment. So I like the fact that they're really just a hungry team out in Asia doing something that's to really try to, you know, change the nature of the way the video space works. Excellent. All right, gentlemen, uh, that was fantastic. I want to remind everybody, we are not financial advisors and anything we talk about or refer to on this show should not be considered or construed as financial advice, which is why I said a fictional $100,000. We do encourage you to do your own research and come to your own conclusions. Start with reading their book, seriously. If you're a beginner, start with reading their book. Um, I'm certainly going to order my copy. Again, that's beleftbehind.com. And lastly, if you enjoy our podcast, please write a review for us in the Apple Podcast and Google Play apps. Your reviews encourage us and help others choose our podcast. Thank you, Steve and Yuri. And uh, you know, let's, uh, let's catch up in a few months or so to see how things are going with the book. Thank you. It's been a Sounds pleasure. Good. Yeah, thank you, Mark. This has been an absolute pleasure. A reminder that we are not financial advisors. And anything we talk about or refer to on the show should not be considered or construed as financial advice. We encourage you to do your own research and come to your own conclusions.